Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. As we follow the war in Ukraine, it's quite easy to disappear into the minutiae, into every battle, every image of destruction or what exactly is happening on a given day. Today, we're actually going to try to zoom out and ask difficult but big questions of where this conflict is going to leave us civilizationally. Will it change the whole dynamic of world civilization? Are we entering into a divided world? And what can we do about that if that happens? Trying to answer some of these big questions, we have someone called Samo Buria. He is the founder of Bismarck Analysis, which is a firm that specializes in seeing through the media narrative and trying to understand what's going on in a more fundamental sense. And he joins us now from San Francisco. Hi, Samo. Thank you for having me on the show. So I guess if it's not too grand a question, what is your sense? I know you're an expert of civilizations and how they, they increase and how they decline, how they merge and how they demerge. Do you have a sense of whether this is some kind of defining moment or a, a key moment in the, the growth and development of world civilization? I think that the fundamentals are actually pointing in that direction. Um, some of my work in writing doesn't just focus on present political developments. Uh, I've done work and research on very ancient civilizations, such as, uh, you know, the society that built Gobekli Tepe, and perhaps relevantly to present circumstances, the Bronze Age collapse. The Bronze Age collapse was a period about 1000 BC, when a string of interconnected civilizations, the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Mycenaeans, all collapsed within a short period of a few years of each other. They had been united in a trade network where tin and copper were brought together at scale to allow them to manufacture bronze. After the collapse of these trade networks and these societies, obviously they couldn't really smelt bronze anymore. Our modern trade networks are as integrated, if not more, than the tin and copper trade of 1000 BC. I don't think we're going to see a civilizational collapse, but the consequences of the untangling of global trade, finance, and information systems, that's going to be with us for hundreds of years after this moment, mm. right? This is the first big push towards deglobalization since, honestly, the aftermath of World War I. Prior to World War I, global trade was at a local peak. After World War I, everyone understood due to political reasons they had to withdraw and this was only doubled down on in the aftermath of uh, the financial crises 
not the 2008 crises, you know, the big one, the Great Depression. Um, mm. So this was followed then by um, calls for autarky, success at autarky, sometimes failure at autarky, right? The Soviet Union itself was a notable example of uh, the human cost the quest for autarky can have. So you would subscribe then to this idea that the, the unipolar moment or the era of a kind of single hegemonic power led by America, represented by a single unified financial system and interconnected trade, which took pretty much the whole surface of the earth into its orbit, that that is now over or is beginning to be over? I think this is the first step towards its dismantling. People have, say, critiqued, you know, the Brexit moment when Britain exited the European Union. However, right now, Russia has exited the global financial system or been pushed out of it in a much more fundamental way. You might hear comparisons in the media saying that, oh, you know, Putin's turning Russia into another North Korea. I'm sorry, a North Korea with all the fossil fuels it needs, all the food it needs, and 10 times the population is barely North Korea. The correct comparison is, imagine if a superpower or a great power, because I think Russia is no longer quite technically a superpower, right? Its power is uh, great, but regional, right? No longer global. Um, so a great power like Russia has been pressed into a position and has honestly blundered into a position that is not too dissimilar from Iran in the aftermath of the Islamic revolution. Mm. And again, if you think of an Iran with 6,000 nuclear warheads, and many times over the territory and a much greater population, even that analogy starts to falter. We can no longer speak of an axis of evil like in the early 2000s with a few rogue countries here and there, but otherwise this unified global security, uh, financial economic system, right? With US hegemony in front, providing the muscle, maybe Brussels rulemaking, uh, providing some legalities to it. And of course, the twin economic engine of China and America merging into Chimerica. That, that era is completely over now. You know, Russia is too big to be an exception. Russia is its own pole. And more importantly, China is not disentangling from Russia. The Western world is. And Russia is disentangling from the West as well. So it sounds different in that sense from what happened to Iran uh, in 79 and, and afterwards. Because then it was in the middle of an era with a single world system, which it could just be kind of excluded from. Do you feel that it's, a, it's like a tipping point now that there is, yes, Iran, but also China and Russia, all in a kind of an other basket, that that now has the potential to survive as an alternative framework so that we'll be living in a kind of bifurcated world? I think that they have that potential. Whether or not China chooses to pursue it is another matter. I think uh, people need to understand that Russia is not a democracy, right? I think we, we are of two minds on it. On the one hand, we uh, say that, you know, Putin might be overthrown by the people any day now, that he can't endure these type of crippling economic sanctions. On the other, you know, he's a, a threat to world peace. He's gone insane. He's an autocrat. The reality is... Russia has a political system that is insulated from the economic well-being of its citizens to a shocking degree. So Russia has several options. 
All of them are unfortunately, you know, not amazing in terms of its power and reach in the world, but all of them are viable. And the importance here is viability outside the global system. It isn't that you're thriving outside of the global system, it's that you exist at all outside the global system. China now has to decide, does it go all in on Russia? The benefits could be huge. China might be the only economy three years from now or five years from now that has cheap oil and cheap natural gas. If they back Russia, Russia will be sort of selling all of their fossil fuel bounty to China, subsidizing all of Chinese production. So what exactly is Germany or the United States or Britain going to do in response to this? We actually do not have the capability right now, not in the short run, to have energy as cheap as what Russia can provide China, nor are our labor prices as low as China still are. So if we continue trading with China and China is bad on Russian fossil fuel and we don't engage in any sanctions against China as well for their trade, which, by the way, does blow up the global economic system, uh, you know, then we'll be slowly outcompeted. So I think a decoupling will happen. Yeah. So the million dollar question then is all of these sanctions, are they self-defeating? I mean, the extreme nature of them pushing everything sort of systemic uh, out of the Russian state. You know, it's, it's not only the formal economic sanctions. We've seen brands withdrawing. We've seen an extraordinary degree of separation in the last two weeks. Do you think that's self-defeating? And do you think it actually just hastens this bifurcated world that actually won't help the West at all? Well, it's important to note that the economic sanctions are hurting Russia in the short run. And they are providing a disincentive to continue the war. However, if the assumption in Russian leadership was we need to decouple from the West anyway, I think these, uh, these sanctions don't change anything. They do, in fact, accelerate it. One way to think of Putin is that he's a man who has thought very carefully about succession. Arguably, he attempted to hand over control of the Russian system uh, to Medvedev a few years ago. Noticed it wasn't working, noticed that the oligarchs were running wild, and walked back on it, returned to power. He has no means of retiring, and this is a common problem for people that are more a more autocratic style of leadership, right? If you retire, you might be arrested, you might be killed. It's, it's not very good. However, he uh, constantly refers to, to a long-term legacy. And you know, Putin's legacy right now is, no matter who the next ruler or, you know, leader of Russia is, uh, they're going to inherit a Russia that is disconnected from the Western system. And it is hubris on the Western part to assume this means the collapse of Russia. We no longer control the rules of the game. The game is now outside the global order, is now outside of the control of either the United States, China, and of course, Russia. There is an anarchic state uh, at play. So... Let's take a specific example, the SWIFT banking system, which is this hugely important way of transferring money. All economies rely on it. The moves to exclude Russia from that system, ultimately, do they just push Russia into the Chinese orbit and make Russians, ordinary Russian people and companies use Chinese alternatives? Or what do you think the effect of something like that is? The same could be said of Google Pay or Netflix or any of these kind of Western infrastructures that have suddenly disappeared. 
Is the effect just to hasten a kind of Russia-Chinese cooperation in inventing a better alternative or a local alternative? I think we um, don't even understand what, uh, how easy it is to provide a full stack alternative to literally all of our software services. And a large part of our finance is just software, right? Swift is in theory this very complicated set of institutional relationships between banks and other institutions. In practice, it's a piece of code that transfers money from one place to another. Fun fact, you know, Chinese electronic payment systems work quite well. They're interoperable with all of the back end and front end stuff that uh, is done in the Western world. The Chinese financial system can easily step in to provide an interface, right? The literal interface through which the Russian economy interacts with itself and interacts with China. And note, interacts with a huge chunk of the world that has not joined the West in sanctions. Mexico has not joined the West in sanctions. India has not joined the West in sanctions. All of Africa, all of Latin America, as is usual when we in the West hear that the world is united, what we mean is the small territory in Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, the United States and Canada. It feels to us like the world because that's the entire online world, that's the entire media world, but it's not, right? There's a whole global South at play as well. But to answer your question more directly, yes, the Chinese can come in and in fact have done so, and the Russians are adapting in their own way. Two laws are very notable. First, uh, any company that uh, you know ceases to work with Russia, that is participating in these sanctions right now, the Russians have basically passed laws to make it okay to pirate their software. So this means organizations, not just individuals, can just use the software anyway, can modify the software, number one. Number two, they're discussing nationalizing all of the assets in Russia of all of the companies that have ceased operation. You know, people are talking about the McDonald's in Russia closing down. Well, you know, McDonald's is just a chain of restaurants. I'm sure someone else can run a chain of restaurants, maybe not with the exact same products, but there will be a massive wealth transfer, not just fleeing Russia, but also from Western companies to the Russian government. These spoils, if the law is passed, would allow the Russian government to pay off uh, the relevant stakeholders in the Russian government. In other words, a whole new class of oligarchs can be created in a much poorer Russia. It's been done before, after all. So there's a kind of asymmetry there, isn't there? Because we're putting all these sanctions on Russia, or the West is. Russia will just seize assets of the West, if it can, as you just described, and is already on the way to doing that. They will be, you know, big gas companies that Western shareholders have ownership in will just be valued at near zero and may or may not be claimed back by the state. In other words, the West will lose its money in Russia. But Russian products like oil, like commodities, are still being paid at full price by the West. Is, oh, is there an asymmetry there? Well, we have to be careful what we mean by the West. Europe, continental Europe especially, economically, energy-wise, extremely dependent on Russia. It has no alternatives. The Germans have recently, you know, they floated the idea of maybe reopening their nuclear power plants and scrapped the idea immediately. The dysfunction and lack of energy planning on the continent, so obsessed with energy planning, is astounding. However, the United States 
has domestic energy, and the U.S. has been moving to uh, ban the import of Russian oil and is now in hurried negotiation with, well, Venezuela and Iran and to a lesser extent Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia that, by the way, has already declined to pump more oil. Talk about a historical irony, right? The U.S. backs Saudi Arabia for 60, 70 years for the idea that it's a rainy, you know, it's going to it's going to come in handy on a rainy day. The rainy day comes and the Saudis don't pump more oil when asked. That is something the West will also remember, right? That's not just that is an example of global disunity where the very act of trying to exclude Russia from the global system further fractures the global system internally. So it's not just a split of Russia away from the rest. It is Russia splits away from the West. The West wants to cut it off. The West puts puts pressure on the periphery areas of sort of the Western hegemony, the American hegemony, and those areas splinter away as well, doing their own thing. So would it be fair to say you think it's a mistake? I mean, it sounds like the consequences of these extreme sanctions are dire for the West. I would go as far as to say that the exact sanctions that have been undertaken are a mistake. We should have kept Russia dependent on the Western financial system. Yes, I know all economists like to focus on the win-win side of it. But the reality is it was a lever of power over the country, not over the government per se, but every single person of wealth, means, connections in Russia itself, every person that mattered used to have a big stake in the success of London, in the success of New York, even the success of Germany. All of this seems like it's going to crumble. And once you've already lost your stake in the Western world, well, you have nothing to lose now, do you? Do you observe that actually this move doesn't come completely out of nowhere? It's not a total surprise in the sense that those kinds of systems we've been discussing, media on the internet, the financial system, commerce, even cultural institutions, have moved in the past few years from being apparently neutral spaces that don't take political positions into much more activist organizations that can be weaponized against people they disapprove of. Uh, and obviously we saw examples of it in the last few years uh, during the COVID pandemic, where people were uh, excluded. We saw in Canada, literally excluded from the financial system for protesting. Uh, internet censorship has definitely upticked during that period. It's almost like these systems were activated in recent years. And this is now a war that they can be fully weaponized in. Do you think it's... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fair to make that connection. I think you never let a good crisis go to waste. And we've had a number of successful, uh, you know, let's call them weaponizations of crisis in the past few years. Unfortunately, we do not actually have a vision of the internet that could be different from the Chinese internet. We are step by step recreating every aspect of the Chinese internet. Banning foreign news sources, right? We ban Sputnik News, it's Russian misinformation. Well, guess what? From China's perspective, the Washington Post is Western disinformation, right? Uh, we froze the assets of Canadian truckers, an immense violation, by the way, of uh, private property and of the trust that people put in the banking system to not be politically weaponized against them. China does that to its, uh, you know, uh, its dissidents. Um, and, you know, we could talk about what happened to, say, Julian Assange and so on, where he is, uh, you know, basically held, I think, without trial. Uh, and it's, it starts getting really bizarre and murky where the moral, bright, clear line is between the free and unfree world. So in the process of struggling against geopolitical rivals and domestic stresses, we have disassembled a lot of the fundamental institutions of the Western world. Now, such transitions, by the way, can be done successfully if you think of the large political historical picture, right? The Roman Empire, after it ceases to be a real republic, still lasts for many centuries. Uh, but the the scale of that change is sometimes not apparent until decades later. What's frightening here is that there's a kind of second order effect you're talking about. So the first effect is that our, the reach of Western power shrinks, essentially. You can plot it on a map from being the whole surface of the world. It shrinks to essentially Europe and North America and the other places you mentioned. That's effect number one. But the second effect is that within our society, within the West, we now think differently about the powers that govern us because we've seen that the systems can be weaponized and we've seen that if we, stat if we are considered to be on the wrong side of them, we might be excluded. So I just wonder if you're a dissident inside the West or if you're someone who for whatever reason is considered unacceptable by whatever power is currently in charge, are you going to be attracted towards the other half of the world in some way? Even if you don't geographically move there, you're going to start conducting your business using union pay or some kind of Chinese alternative to the Western systems. You're going to hedge your security by making sure you're not entirely dependent on these Western systems. I'm just wondering, could it precipitate some kind of internal collapse within the West? I unfortunately think that the Western world if there were serious competitors coming in from China, 
would just ban those. I think it would behave much as China behaves, right? That's the difficulty here. We're stuck in this like almost a escalating symmetric strategy where the simplest answer isn't to fix what's broken, but merely eliminate alternatives to what is broken, thereby keeping people stuck. For example, uh, you know, all of the cryptocurrency owned by Russians held in places like Coinbase, Bitstamp, all of these uh, services, right? Maybe five or six years ago, these were unique services. But now, unless you have your cryptocurrency stored in so-called cold storage, you've been expropriated just as effectively as if you had a bank account. Because an account like Coinbase's is a bank account. It's been put under immense regulatory pressure over the last few years. It needs to collect all the same information that a bank needs to collect. So crypto, right? Cryptocurrencies were supposed to be this grand decentralized alternative. And if cryptocurrencies are sort of banned and they don't have an explicit, I mean, not banned or at least liable to be seized, uh, I really don't see why union pay wouldn't eventually come under sanctions if it was used widely in the Western world. What here comes to mind is the transition in the old Soviet Union from the philosophy of Leo Trotsky to that of Joseph Stalin. Trotsky has Vladimir Lenin's view. The revolution is here. The revolution is global. It's not just us Bolsheviks, but the entire world that will be communist soon. When the failures of the revolution start multiplying, such as the failure to conquer Poland, right? Russia tried to conquer Poland almost immediately after uh, the Bolsheviks won the Russian Civil War. After that started multiplying, Joseph Stalin proposed socialism in one country. So this new theory of Soviet history was that the Soviet Union is going to close into itself, build itself up economically, and it's not going to bother with revolution around the world. So the political energies directed outward came to be directed inward with brutalizing effect, right? We all know of the inhumanity of Stalin's Soviet Union. Now, I'm not going to argue too much about Russian history, though, of course, it's directly relevant. But the analogy I'm now drawing is that perhaps globalism has failed. Globalism is retreating from the idea that Russia and China and Iran are one day going to be just like us, integrated in the same systems, uh, consuming the same media, using the same financial services, using the same technologies, sharing the same user data, traveling freely, you know, vacationing, vacationing in Paris and studying at Harvard. That era might be over. But I think the first step for Western elites is not to acknowledge mistakes and shortcomings. No, it's globalism in one country. Now, of course, it's not going to be globalism literally in one country. But can you imagine a sort of besieged European Union and a sort of like besieged United States doubling down on the persecution of domestic enemies, enforcing ever stricter sort of multicultural norms, even while the empire ironically becomes less multicultural as fewer and fewer parts of the world are part of it? I think that resolves internal political paradoxes, unfortunately, for Western elites. So uh, there could be a severe escalation of repression of domestic dissent as a consequence of foreign humiliation. This is sounding very bleak, Samo. It, it feels like the... Uh, the well, uh, well I, I think it's realistic. I think it's realistic. I think we, we, we shouldn't assume Western elites are more benevolent than historic elites. Let me just try to push back with something a little bit more sunshiny, 
which is that despite everything you've said, the fact is, is it not, that it is still Western technology that leads the world. It is still Western culture that young people want to buy into. The innovations still come out of America, primarily, and they are then copied, or there are imitations of them elsewhere. So maybe one can go too far in the kind of pessimism and the imminent decay of Western civilization. Maybe the energy is still with the West. I think in a very real sense, it's true that the Western world will continue economically outgrowing Russia. I think the comparison on China is much more open. There are some technological innovations that are coming from China. And I note that, for example, um, you know, batteries, right? The innovation in batteries that powers both your smartphone and a Tesla electric car, those batteries were made cheaper and the innovations in their production were done in China, not in the West, right? So the batteries are produced in China and you might argue, well, the batteries are not themselves that much more advanced. But the factories making the batteries, it's not just cheap labor. There have in fact been industrial innovations in China, just as, to be honest, there were industrial innovations in Japan in the 1970s and 1980s, right? The Toyota production method was back imported from Japan to the United States to great effect and so on and so on. So I would be cautious when thinking about technology. Yes, China can copy everything and has been copying everything. They also can improve things and they can advance technology. I do agree it is much slower than what we do in the West, but you know, really, if all we're getting is like a two or four or five year advantage, like the Chinese, let's say perpetually five years behind us, I don't think that's enough of an advantage. And uh, you know, you know, really, it's not clear to me how fast the West has to innovate to stay ahead. So what is your counsel then to Western leaders? Because in a sense, this kind of realist talk about the rise of China, about the vulnerability of the West has been going on for some years. And normally people who engage in it want a more muscular approach from the West towards the competitors. The complaint has been, well, we've rolled out the red carpet to China, to developing economies that we fancifully called BRICS and they've now are growing and they're going to overtake us and we've basically been naive and too open and too generous. Well, no one can call the West's reaction to the Russian invasion naive or open or generous. It is absolutely as muscular as perhaps it could be. So in a sense, aren't the realists now getting what they asked for, which is a, a more directly competitive power battle with the West asserting itself? I think um, that's a very good point, because I think the realists were always better in their critiques of the West, not so excellent in their prescriptions as to what to do. Uh, I think that the economic decoupling from Russia, uh, you know, the economic decoupling that eventually, not yet, but eventually will happen with China as well, you know, that could be a stimulus for Western growth. In a way, we offshored the very centers of our innovation. People don't understand that the center of industrial innovation is an R&D lab that actually sees the factory floor. In other words, the factory is the center of innovation in an industrial society. It's not the university lab. The university lab can make excellent science. They can write great scientific papers that you know the Chinese then download. 
but the real economic societal payload is always in the manufacturing base, right? So the fact that we are going to have to develop a manufacturing base again in the Western world, I actually think that's a great thing. I actually think that's going to stimulate Western dynamism. It might actually bring us back to a much faster pace of technological progress, maybe something we haven't seen since the 1960s and 50s. Note the so-called great stagnation kicks in in the 1970s, after which, you know, labor and productivity, um, you know, basically wages and productivity decouple. Uh, A lot of the Western middle class has seen, if anything, a sliding back of living standards rather than advancement of living standards. All of these things, they might be remedied. Now, having said, being economically tough, right, being mm, reluctant to trade, always wanting to make sure that the deal you're getting with trade is fair rather than stacked in China's favor, uh, that's all good, let's say. But militarily, militarily, uh, the West has been exhausting its power, not asserting its power. Come on. It's just a few months since we saw the embarrassing collapse in Afghanistan. How many trillions of dollars? 20 years of tears and blood for what? For failing our local allies, right? Like what was it all for? I don't think it was for anything. I think we've been really exhausting the, for now, clear military superiority. And if, heavens forbid, we start shooting down Russian planes, it might all go up in in smoke. It might all go up in smoke. So leaving aside that horrible um, possibility, which obviously, we should consider. It's on everyone's mind. It's obviously <laughs> on everyone's mind. But presuming that we do avoid imminent nuclear war, and presuming we go into this world of separate spheres of power, more directly and nakedly competitive with each other, I thought what you were saying was very interesting there, which is that it might actually be a stimulus. And actually, there's a sense in which, as a species, we need to be competitive in order to be our most productive, our most innovative. There's a kind of decadence that came with a unipolar world because there was no existential threat. There was no need to be our best selves because we were sort of riding high. You know, maybe there's some... It's sad in a way because the beautiful universal vision didn't work, but maybe we are going to be returned to a world where will be better versions of ourselves. I think the possibility of that certainly exists, and that's maybe some actually grounded optimism to counteract pessimism. Just because there will be the political impulse for domestic persecution does not mean other solutions can't be found. But what really, it's it's really going to be, what does Western culture, what do European American, you know, Japanese citizens, how will they respond to this world, right? This new world that comes into being. It's possible we will come back with fatality, right? It's possible we'll rise to meet the challenge, that we'll build the industrial base. It's also possible that we will in fact uh, close our eyes and deny reality. So for example, for for the continent, for Europe itself, uh, whether or not Germany can break its foolish low energy policy because it is false that a low energy consumption economy is a green economy, okay? You can have very high energy consumption powered by, say, nuclear, powered by, uh, you know, alternative uh, alternative forms of energy, 
Solar has been getting better and better year after year, though, of course, it's never going to quite work for Germany. It's too cloudy a country, but it could work for France, for Spain, for other places. So, look, if, if places like Germany reconsider their commitment to slow decline in the name of the planet, in the name of the environment, then the West is very competitive with cheap energy, the best uh, scientific minds still wanting to work in the West, still being trained in the West, uh, with a massive endowed economy, with a very high-tech military. We have all the components here to make what we used to call the first world seem like the third, right? We could overcome the malaise of the early 2000s, this seeming strange future of 2008 that's we've always been with us with these ugly glass buildings with this lackluster economic growth with this weird virtualization and uh actually build the future that that we were promised 60 years ago do you think for a civilization to renew itself and to become creative and and full of energy it needs these kind of you know the enemy at the gates uh feeling is that true do you think and and if so is that where we should put our hope in these unhappy times Yes, the competitive instinct is very strong in people. Uh, yes, foreign competitors and rivals can spark internal reform. Uh, but I will say that societies sometimes engage in self-harming reform rather than self-ameliorating reform. So let's put it this way. Competition from China and Russia now in a decoupling of these two great centers of economy, power, military from the West has increased the variance of possible Western outcomes, right? I think we are actually almost 50-50 split on whether we, again, rise up to this challenge or whether we just sort of turn inwards and sort of double down on all of our mistakes. Um, I think my hope is the open-mindedness to pursue very different approaches, again, to economy, to science, to technology, uh, you know, even to politics between uh, countries um, is at least between democracies, right? Between parliamentary democracies. Um, I think that, that that openness needs to be there. It needs to be there in all layers of society, right? Samo Bodia, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me on the show. That was Samo Bodia of Bismarck Analysis. Thanks to him for being such a good sport there as I threw really quite big existential difficult questions at him and I think what we got to was a sense that yes the world is dividing whether we like it or not and the question for the western part of the world is whether we are going to rise to that challenge and become better versions of ourselves or whether it's actually a fatal threat to us. Thank you for joining this was Unheard. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.